Faced with an uncertain future, many business owners and technology professionals don't have the time needed to invest in their business technology strategies. And as a result, they're afraid of their technology getting outdated and putting their company and customers' information at risk. The digital future is already here, but with all different choices in the marketplace, it's difficult to know which one will be the best fit for you and your strategic vision. Imagine having the peace of mind that your business is backed by the right technology investments that are tailored for your specific needs. Hi, I'm Brian Nichols, and I've helped countless business owners and technology professionals just like you, helping you make informed decisions about what technologies are best to invest in for your business. Voice, bandwidth, cybersecurity, business continuity, juggling all the aspects of business technology is messy. Let me help. Head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash help and sign up for a free one-on-one -on -one consultation with yours truly to dig deep into where you see your company heading and how we can align your business technology towards those goals. Again, that's briannicholsshow.com forward slash help to get your simplified business technology started today. Instead of focusing on winning arguments, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and marketing and how we can use them to win in the world of politics, teaching you how to meet people where they're at on the issues they care about. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Well, happy Thursday there, folks. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show, and thank you for joining us on, of course, another fun-filled episode. I am, as always, your humble host, and uh, by the way, I hope you enjoyed yesterday's uh, pretty fun episode there with Eric Brakey joined him over well he joined me I joined him it's whose show is it anyway we don't really have an answer to whose show it is uh, but we're, we're going to be going back to uh, one of our returning guests we here, had here in the program uh, and we talked about school choice we talked about uh, what's happening in government schools right now but we're going to dig into specifically 2022 how that has changed and uh, what that would guess is Carrie McDonald from Fee Carrie welcome to the Brian Nichols show Oh, it's great to be back with you, Brian. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Carrie, I was looking so forward to having you back in the show because you've been doing such great work over at Fee, specifically focusing on, number one, what's been happening in, in government public schools, but number two, what alternatives are out there that parents, in many cases, are leading the charge, or at the very least, they're helping fight back against these school boards. So thank you for the work you've been doing, and I want to give you a chance to reintroduce yourself to the audience. Obviously, we've talked to a, a lot of folks since we were last in the program. And with that, the audience has been growing a lot of new uh, voices here in our in our greater audience. So I'd love for them to be able to hear more of your story. What got you so passionate about focusing on education policy, specifically to the point that you're working for over at FE? Yeah, so thanks. I'm, uh, I'm a senior education fellow at FEE, the Foundation for Economic Education, which is the country's oldest libertarian, libertarian think tank. It was founded in 1946. And I also uh, just launched a new liberated podcast that's a weekly podcast to kind of dive into these education issues, um, really focusing on some of these contemporary topics from a free market perspective, a libertarian perspective, um, been highlighting a lot of education entrepreneurs. And that's been, I think, really one of the positives. I mean, there's a lot we could dwell on in terms of what is negatively happening in education. Um, but I think that there's a lot of good things happening. And I think actually, um, as difficult and devastating as the pandemic response has been over the past couple of years, uh, the real upshot is that parents have been put in charge of their children's education in ways that were unimaginable kind of pre-2020. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, I really think that 
you know, not only beginning in 2020 with school closures and um, recognizing the power and influence of teachers unions and keeping schools closed, influencing CDC policy, which we saw last year. Uh, I think it's really just opened a lot of parents' eyes and they've been then more interested and curious, interested in and curious about um, various other education options for their children. Um, so we've seen not only kind of record rates of parents removing their children from assigned district schools for homeschooling, creating pandemic pods that in many cases have now turned into full-fledged microschools. Um, but we've also seen tremendous support for school choice policies that enable education funding to follow students instead of going to these bureaucratic school systems that are increasingly um, unresponsive to parent needs. So there's a lot we could say about um, the negative aspects of American education today, but I think there's tremendous positives as well. And one of the things you were just uh, focusing on over on Fee, I saw an article that I think it was posted over on April Fool's Day, but I was like, is this a joke? But it's not a joke. Hybrid schooling. <laughs> and I think this is such an interesting approach because I think you mentioned this in the article that it, it gives you the best of both worlds. Could you dig into what hybrid schooling looks like? Yeah, so this was uh, related to a podcast episode I did recently with Professor Eric Warren, who's a professor at Kennesaw State University in Georgia and runs the National Hybrid Schools Project. And hybrid schools are sort of a type of micro school. Um, they often combine sort of the best, again, of school, institutional school, but also homeschooling. So many of the families that participate are registered as homeschoolers in their uh, various states and various locations, but the students attend a brick and mortar uh, building for classes for formal curriculum two to three days a week. And then the rest of the time is at home. So that sort of distinguishes it from a micro school that might be five days a week and is just sort of a smaller kind of one room schoolhouse multi-age feel. Um, these hybrid homeschools and hybrid schools existed, as Eric says, some of them dating back to the 1990s, but they've gained increasing popularity over the past decade and certainly over the past couple of years as more and more parents are looking for what else is available <laughs> uh, for their children's education and then kind of stumble upon these hybrid schools. And one of the things I think is really interesting is that in um, Professor Warren's research, he discovered that most of the students uh, in his samples who are attending these hybrid schools, hybrid homeschools, previously were attending public schools. So they aren't coming from kind of a full-time homeschooling background. They're coming from pu public schools. And when surveyed, he found it interesting, and I did as well, that they said they would prefer to be full-time homeschoolers if they could, as opposed to being full-time private school students mm -hmm. if they could. And I think a lot of that is because they've seen um, – the ways in which government schooling can weaken the family, can disconnect children from their siblings and from um, larger family values. I mean, we've seen schooling take up much more of childhood than ever before, beginning at ever younger ages and extending into far later in adolescence and kind of full day with after school care and so on. And I think parents are just saying, you know, let's let's regain some of that influence, be able to kind of nurture and cultivate our children, yep. um, but not in sort of a full-time homeschooling way. I, I talked about this yesterday with Eric Brakey on on the the Who's Show Is It Anyway podcast, and we, we ended up digging into this a little bit where I think what we're seeing right now is 
parents starting to wake up that they had abdicated so much responsibility in, in raising their children to, and it ends up being government experts. It's this deferral to experts. Uh, we saw this on full display with a Supreme Court nominee who she said, oh, I'm not a biologist. I can't answer what a, a woman is. And, and that right there, it just shows how so many folks in society have abdicated the responsibility of making decisions and being a critical thinking, rational human being to experts because then they don't have to be in the position of making a decision that could be right or wrong. They can defer to said experts. Well, I followed what this very noted PhD, you know, and add all the extra letters behind that name that they they told me that this was the best way to, to approach things, giving my kids to government school and having them be there literally from the point that they are what walking to the point that they are walking out my door. And then beyond that, I mean, it, we're seeing a, a point where parents, I think, are starting to say, enough, I, I, I have to take responsibility. And, and I think this is almost a lot of parents reckoning to the fact that they, they goofed. They, they had a big oopsie and they gave way too much responsibility, way too much authority to these, these government schools under the guise of, well, they're the experts. They know how to raise my child. Well, maybe you're supposed to teach your kids math and history and science. Uh, well, do we now do we trust them doing that anymore, Carrie? And I think that is where your average parent is, is they're starting to wake up, especially, and we talked about this last time, when they got a sneak peek into what was being taught during COVID. Now the kids were home, the laptops were open, and they could see on screen, my kids learning what? And that started so many conversations. I don't think that the left was prepared to address. Yeah, I think really parents have been going through a big awakening over the past couple of years, as you mentioned, beginning in the spring of 2020, when they actually saw what was happening in their children's classrooms, and many of them didn't like what they were seeing. And then that um, just kind of snowballed when schools stayed closed and parents realized that, no, they actually had to be the ones to figure out how their children were going to be educated, that remote learning that was tied to a district was often pitiful, and they needed to kind of take matters into their own hands. And some of them, you know, began to create these pandemic pods um, that were in many ways like the micro schools that were emerging and gaining in popularity prior to 2020, which, as I mentioned, are sort of these um, modern one room schoolhouses. They're often located in a family's home where they'll hire an outside teacher facilitator. Sometimes they're in commercial spaces uh, and they really, I think, address some of this push away from large old institutions uh, and government-run institutions in many cases to kind of smaller, more decentralized, more innovative learning models. And one of the um, recent guests that I had on my Liberated podcast was a woman named Jill Perez, who's been a, a teacher for 20 years, uh, was sort of fed up with COVID policies when schools shut down in 2020, 2021, didn't want her kids wearing a mask when they went back to school, when the schools ultimately reopened in, in her location in New Jersey. So she started a pandemic pod with some other families that was so popular that this past fall of 2021, she built it into a full-fledged microschool, rented a space, had 45 kids. It's increasingly growing, and now she's purchased a building uh, and plans to, to continue to grow. So I, I think that just speaks to the ways in which um, the last couple of years have really uh, encouraged em parent empowerment as well as education entrepreneurship that's going to continue to change the face of education for the better, I would argue, for decades to come. Yeah, you mentioned that in one of your articles here, I was going back, that 
New data shows the exodus from public schooling. It's continuing, and it's not just the kids, right? It's the teachers too, yeah. and and that's one of the biggest myths. And I think I actually I just I had Larry Sharp here on the program on Tuesday's show, and uh, one of the numbers that just blew my mind: New York State alone, every student is getting twenty eight thousand dollars per year in taxpayer dollars. And and I, I dare say, if I were to go ask your average person in New York State, does your child get twenty eight thousand dollars? worth of education per year and dare I take it a step further do you think you could do better with that $28,000 in helping your kid not just get an education but get an education in the things that matter yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm here in the Boston area. Boston public schools spend around the same, around $25,000 per pupil per year in taxpayer funding. You know, and that's sort of the argument for these school choice policies that are expanding rapidly in many states is uh, give a portion of that taxpayer funding uh, back to families to allow students to decide um, and families to decide how they want that money to be spent. And if they want to use that for educational expenses, tutoring, uh, supplies, curriculum, or tuition at a private school, um, then that's up to them. It's sort of this idea of allowing, again, funding to go to individual families if we're going to have taxpayer funding of education um, rather than going to these bureaucratic school systems. So, Carrie, uh, we see a lot of parents who are standing up, but there are a bunch of parents, too, who are kind of like, well, they, they go back to this deferral to, I'm not an educator. I don't know what kids need to be taught. And frankly, is, is it my role to determine what kids should be and should not be taught? I mean, I don't know what the world needs to have in store for them. So to those, those teachers or to, I mean, not teachers, to those parents who are maybe a little skeptical on looking at changing the way that they've been doing the, the traditional public government schooling system, the monopoly of the schooling system, really, I, what's, what's the, um, the way you've found to engage in that conversation to help maybe alleviate and, and get rid of some of those objections they might have at the onset? Yeah, I mean, I think some of it is just um, helping parents become aware of the tremendous options that are available to them already. So certainly in states like Arizona and Florida that have a long track record of success in terms of school choice policies, um, that have robust school choice policies that allow education funding to follow families, uh, we see a lot of education innovation entrepreneurship. There's a lot of charter schools. There's a lot of various private school options that families can choose from. And I think, you know, it's it's becoming a consumer of education in the same way that families consume other goods and services. Um, and you have to decide, you know, the products and services that matter to you that kind of reflect your values. Um, there's the the kind of setting and, and atmosphere of these various uh, educational options. And, and what does that look like for you? I think a lot of families also are discovering that um, online learning is something that they should consider. And part of it is that, you know, I think they were exposed potentially to virtual schooling through this kind of district Zoom school back when schools first closed down in 2020. And that might have turned off a lot of families. But then I think I'm seeing more and more families realize, you know, that was not really when we, what we consider high quality virtual learning. You know, there's a lot of wonderful um, online learning platforms that were built as online learning platforms that have curriculums that were designed for this kind of, uh, of medium. They have teachers that want to 
to teach in that kind of environment that that gravitate toward that. And, and uh, I think a lot of families are realizing that they don't have to be the ones kind of sitting down doing the, the teaching if they want to do some of these hybrid homeschool models, that they can actually leverage a lot of these online learning um, resources around them, many of which are free or low cost, uh, and kind of tap into that high quality learning, you know, I mean, why not have your child learn calculus from one of the best calculus instructors in the world. And now we're able to do that um, so much more easily with the advent of technology. And then along with that, I think that another thing that's happened over the past couple of years in terms of kind of cultural disruption is a much greater embrace of virtual work and work from home or hybrid work schedules. And so as more parents have flexibility in their work schedule and are no longer in many cases tied to a nine to five Monday through Friday job in an office building, um, they want to grant that same freedom and flexibility and hybrid schedule to their children. Uh, and so that's where I think there's just so much opportunity, not only for parents, uh, but for entrepreneurs as well. So Carrie, when you're you're out there and you're, you're having these conversations, and obviously you're seeing the change, I'm seeing the change as well, but there still are roadblocks, right? And, and I think it's important for us, and I do this whenever I'm sitting down with somebody and we're going through a sales cycle in the world of business technology, right? What, what are the things that we have to be aware of that could be holding us back? roadblocks that could get in the way. Mm. So what are you seeing are potential roadblocks that we need to be aware of? And how do you reckon that we could best prepare and be ready to overcome those when they do arrive? You know, I, I'm, I'm always so inspired by entrepreneurs in general, but I'm particularly inspired by education entrepreneurs, many of whom are longtime teachers uh, who are burnt out by being in these government-run schools for so long and lacking kind of their own creativity and, and flexibility and freedom going off and wanting to create something new. In some cases, it's entrepreneurial parents who just want to solve a problem for their children. They, they're What they're finding in their local communities isn't meeting their children's educational needs, and they want to uh, build something that will. And so those kind of education entrepreneurs, I find even more inspiring because uh, education is one of the most regulated industries. We have sort of this quote unquote free government school model that is the default, uh, that's compulsory. And so it's hard to compete with that. There's a lot of barriers to entry. There's a lot of um, regulatory hurdles that education entrepreneurs have to overcome. Uh, so I'm always particularly inspired by them. And I think um, the key would be to try to lessen some of that burden on these educational entrepreneurs. So as much as we want to be pushing for kind of school choice policies, I think from a policy perspective, we also want to be pushing to encourage education entrepreneurship by reducing regulatory um, barriers for educators and entrepreneurial educators, um, by helping maybe reduce kind of some of these zoning restrictions that limit where someone could open a micro school and so on, um, licensing requirements that can be convoluted. And so I think it's a lot to do there. We're just uh, building an environment that can nurture entrepreneurship in local communities. So... We've, we've outlined everything in terms of getting people excited. They, their interest has been peaked. The curiosity is there. So now, Carrie, it's, it's sensory overload. You go online to start figuring out how to actually make this real. And it's like, there's 13,000 results that show me exactly the step-by-step -step approach I should take. 
okay, well, which one should I actually look at? And I, I honestly, I hear this all the time in the sales world as well, where, you know, hey, hey, I went to look for the best cybersecurity solution. I found 3 million search results and I couldn't really narrow it down. And I say, yeah, no kidding, um, because there's 3 million search results. So let's make it easy for folks. What would you recommend as being the, I, I, you know, basic starting off point to, to actually start not just exploring this in reality for a family, but actually getting their kids to a, uh, an option where they do have school choice. Um, and let's say it's in an environment where school choice is already on the uh, the, the books, not a place where we're fighting to get school choice initi- mm. uh, initiated. Yep. Yeah, I mean, in some of these states that already have robust school choice policies, <clears throat> I think that it can be a lot easier to find um, these various alternatives. They can kind of tap into kind of grassroots organizations and advocacy organizations that are helping to connect parents. I think there's a lot of that. Um, those kind of networking opportunities in states that have these school choice policies set. Um, but I, n- I think another thing is also for families to just think of what kind of learning environment might make sense for their kids. I mean, if they want an online learning environment, if they think that that kind of hybrid model might work for them in terms of some time online, some time in a social group, then they can look at various virtual charter schools that might be in their area, again, that tend to be um, abundant in school choice states. Uh, if they wanted something that were operated more on a homeschool um, foundation, and homeschooling can often provide that kind of regulatory and legal flexibility to provide for microschools and some of these other hybrid homeschool models, as well as online learning, then I often suggest that families visit um, local homeschool communities, often on Facebook and other social media sites. And you'll find kind of through those communities, access to microschools, to homeschool co-ops, to homeschool resource centers, uh, to hybrid homeschools, things that, that parents might even not might not even know exist. But once they sort of tap into those um, online communities, realize there's a whole host of options available to them that are accessible, often very affordable and really fulfilling. See, this is why we have you on the show, Carrie, because, and I get this a lot from people, they'll hear a, a podcast episode, and, and I, you know what, here, we're going to put on the humble hat here, um, going back to some really old episodes, like I'd have a guest on, they'd have this pie in the sky idea that sounded great, and then I'd have somebody in real life say, so that episode, like, how does that become real? And and I had to like sit there for a second and be like, I don't know, like it, it just, I thought it was a great idea, and I think this is what sometimes the missing piece has been, um, is being able to make it real, show people that it's not just a great idea. And, and actually it's, it's more than a great idea. It's, it's going to make things better. And it already is in many cases, it's just being able to help connect the dots. And, and if we can start to approach things just as we have today, this just all makes sense, right? Nothing here that you promoted is controversial. It's not, you know, you know, the, the traditional caricature that is created that the Bible thumping person just trying to burn books and stop people from going to school to get learned like that's not that's not the approach and actually you're seeing a big change already taking place so let's talk to the people who are in that that mentality of looking for those alternatives or at the very least acknowledging that something's not right and I don't know what the answer is. Let's help present the actual solutions that are tangible for them. So thank you, Carrie, for helping us actually do that. And uh, how about this? Final thoughts uh, that you'd want to leave the audience with. I know you you do a lot of work in, in education, but you do a lot of other great work as well over at Fee. So is there anything that you're doing for pet projects or anything in that world that you want to promote as well? Yeah, I, I, well, I just want to say kind of one last point on, on what you were saying. I, you know, I think we have so much personalization in every other part of our lives. And it should be kind of shocking and disappointing to families that we don't have that much choice 
when it comes to the education options available to our children. And so, um, you know, this is about expanding options and having all the abundance with education that we have in uh, every other product and service that we consume. Uh, and that's where I, you know, I think that the free market is the is the solution. It's the future for education as it is in, in all other industries and sectors. And so we just need to unleash the power of the free market and entrepreneurship. And I'll just sort of say that if parents aren't finding in their communities what is going to work for their children in terms of education, education solutions, you know, don't be afraid to go out and build it uh, and become entrepreneurial in that sense. So yeah, listeners and, and viewers can go uh, to find me at the Foundation for Economic Education at fee.org slash carry. And you can also listen to my Liberated podcast wherever you get your podcast or visit liberatedpodcast.com. There it is. I was going to make sure you got the uh, the podcast plug in there. Yes, the Liberated podcast. And uh, what we'll do, folks, we'll make it easy for you. All you have to do, you click the artwork in your podcast catcher. It'll bring you to briannicholsshow.com where you can obviously find Carrie's episode right there at the top and you'll see not only all of her social media links, her podcast links, but also you will find the entire transcript for today's episode. And oh, by the way, all 400 and I think 75 episodes we have here of the Brian Nichols show. So uh, how about that, folks? And by the way, if you do enjoy the episode, please do me a favor and do Carrie a favor. Go ahead and give this episode a share. And when you do, make sure you go ahead and give Carrie a tag and give yours truly a tag as well at B Nichols Liberty. That being said, thank you so much, Carrie McDonald from Fee for joining us on today's episode of the Brian Nichols show. Great to be here. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe. Want to help us reach more people? Give the show a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Find us at briannicholsshow.com and download the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me on social media at bnicholsliberty and consider donating to the show at briannicholsshow.com forward slash support. The Brian Nichols Show is supported by viewers like you. Thank you to our patrons, Daryl Schmitz, Michael Lima, Mitchell Mankiewicz, Cody Johns, Craig DaCosta, and the We Are Libertarians Network. This is renegade statesman Eric Brakey, host of Free America Now, a podcast for people ready to strike down tyranny. As a former state legislator who knows how the political machine works, I lead every episode with a free-range discussion alongside thinkers, activists, and policymakers. People like Tom Woods, Hannah Cox, and WWE superstar and Knox County Mayor Glenn Kane Jacobs on just how to free America now. New episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, and you can find Free America Now on your favorite podcasting app. So be sure to subscribe, unless you're a communist, in which case I understand why you wouldn't really like the show. Furthermore, my opinion is the Federal Reserve should be destroyed, so let's free America now.